Welcome to First World Problems, the podcast, episode number 14. And uh, I'm sitting here with uh, our two beautiful co-hosts, as always, Mr. Joey Cahill. How are you doing? Very good. Good. You? And I'm, I'm spectacular. I'm sitting here looking at my alleyway and looking forward to uh, talking to our special guest, who I'm not revealing yet. I'm not revealing yet. And uh, Scott Arnold, how are you doing? I'm well. You're not actually sitting with us. No, yeah, we're all... you might want to. Sorry, this... <laughs> that's true. This is a uh, conversation that is being recorded over Skype, so this is our our second one, and um, we're we're glad because uh, the the first one it it went pretty well. Uh, the microphone that was used by our guest wasn't exactly up to uh, up to snuff, but it still sounded okay. But the guest that we have brought on this evening is uh, is definitely technically proficient and has a spectacular microphone <laughs> scott Kraus, scott Krauss from the band the rock band earth crisis thank you for being our guest this evening oh no, not a problem we, anytime yeah okay well then you've will you'll be our now, guest now i'm gonna be here every week yeah, pretty yeah. much what are you doing tomorrow yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anybody that says that that's they immediately regret that <laughs> We uh, have been actually getting a decent amount of uh, tweets of people that we should uh, interview, which is which is cool. Uh, we got some interesting suggestions, like uh, George from Blacklisted. That was one, um, which I don't think he'll ever talk to us because he doesn't do interviews. Um, am I right, Joey? Uh, yeah, I think he's done one. Right. Um, <laughs> so yeah. that, that that may be not easy for us to do. But that would be an awesome interview. It would be. It would be. And then um, I'm trying to think of some of the other ones that people suggested for us. But, uh, yeah, we, we take all those suggestions and we put them in our uh, our database, as it were. And um, hopefully someday we'll be able to get around to it. Oh, yeah, Dan Yemen. That was another another suggestion. Ooh, that'd be cool. Yeah, it would be cool. And I'm also going to preface this. Uh, Scott Arnold is sitting at a Starbucks. So if you hear any drink orders being yelled at, that will probably be why. Yeah, I'm hoping I get escorted out. <laughs> They're like Scott's the cre- Scott's the creepy guy talking to himself. Yeah, talking to himself in the corner. Wow, <laughs> that's so good. I really hope they, uh, sir, you need to leave now, because all you've ordered is a is a cup of water <laughs> with a shot of espresso in it. It's fine. He's a paying customer, gentlemen. I'm back on coffee. Uh oh. Oh, surprise, surprise. <laughs> Scott Arnold always says he quits coffee for you know weeks at a time, and then he goes back on it. Scott Kraus. Scott has are, never made it weak. That's true. I know. Scott Kraus, are you a uh, coffee drinker yourself? I am not. I'm like the lone holdout. I think amongst all my friends, I I just never got into it. I I, I think it's an acquired taste that I just don't care to acquire. Well, let's be honest. It's just the most straight edge thing for you to do, obviously. Well, yeah, that that that's really what it's all about—my <laughs> straight edge superiority. <laughs> so, which which isn't that the name of the new record, right? It it is, yeah. It is. <laughs> it, we're saying it's neutralized the threat, but really, it's straight edge superiority. <laughs> for those in the know, that's what it is. Right. I, the... I saw today they um they released the cover art today, okay. and uh, the first comment um under the cover cover art was. Go away, tree hugging pussies. <laughs> but that's perfect. And I and I immediately texted it to Carl. I was like, <laughs> dude, they announced it on Blabbermouth. The first comment was go away, tree hugging pussies. <laughs> <laughs> and so I presume you guys aren't gonna release the record now, right? Yeah, we're gonna go away. Right. <laughs> that was offensive. <laughs> that's perfect. <laughs> yeah, so people keep hitting us up 
via our email, fwppodcast at gmail.com, and on Twitter at, at fwppodcast. We love to hear the feedback. So, And uh, now we'll move on to our amazing and trailblazing feature called Quick Hits. Trailblazing. I think it is. I I don't think anybody else has ever called a quick hit section. I don't even know who said that first. Who said that? Probably you. Maybe. I can't remember. Uh, but yeah, this is a section where we recommend something in our lives that we enjoy, uh, whether it's mechanical pencils like Scott recommended in one episode. Jesus Christ. I know, which was amazing. <laughs> or uh, places to eat, whatever, random stuff. So um, seeing as I know that Scott Arnold is never ready when I ask him for his quick hit, Joey. I am ready. Well, I don't care right now. Joey, give me your quick hit for this episode. Uh, I actually have two again. We can make them quick because one of them I will be, I'm assuming, the the lone person who will enjoy this. But so number one, I highly recommend – the new Panic at the Disco record called <laughs> Vices and Virtues. Um, I feel like this band has never gotten or always got a bad rap within like the indie scene because they just kind of uh, you know made it immediately. They did. But this record, I think people should really listen to because it's just, I don't know, it's just a great solid pop record that anybody I think who likes pop music should listen to. Is it pop? And, Is it pop like... Like Maroon Five pop or like what? No, you talk- it, it's like a mix. Uh, to me, it's a mix between like their first record, but with like elements of the second record, which is definitely like you know they're more. It was more like a Beatles esque kind of hippie ish record. But okay. I don't know. There's just something about it. I keep it's by far and away the most listenable of the three records, and mm. yeah, it's on constant rotation. Okay, interesting. In my car. Yes. Um, number two, real quick, uh, I saw Fast Five last night, and if anyone does not like that movie, then they're a bad person, <laughs> because there is there is something in this movie for everybody. Uh, I dragged Nicole with me to see it, and she was dreading it, and she left, and she was like, it wasn't that bad. So, everyone <laughs> can find something to like in this movie glowing recommendation from yeah. your girlfriend i don't think it wasn't that bad bad is a good recommendation I, it sounds terrible <laughs> well, no, no. <laughs> well when you go in with such low expectations and you come out like you know what that wasn't that bad yeah okay because i would i i would have said before you gave it a recommendation i would have said the exact opposite that anybody that went to see that movie is a bad person <laughs> <laughs> it is I would maybe say um, the best action movie of the year so far. I, I would I would disagree with you, Joey. But it, here's my thing about the movie. I saw it myself because it's it's a totally it's like the easiest movie to obviously watch. Like you don't need to have, know anything about anything and just walk in there. And it's the fifth movie, and you don't need to know anything. It's like that's ridiculous. But anyways, the I just thought it was really slow up until like pre, what, pre, dude. Totally. Honestly, up until about three quarters through the movie, um, it just – it's like basically like Ocean's Eleven um, where it's like with, you know the buildup of the like – the worst people ever. Well, yeah, of course. <laughs> it, it is maybe the best worst movie I've seen in a very long time. I, I can't disagree with you there. I just thought it was – I mean the ending chase scene was ridiculously awesome, um, but 
I just, I don't know, I felt it lacked a little pace initially. But I mean, then again, I shouldn't be really critiquing a movie for pace that's just going to, you know, worry about blowing cars up and stuff. So, whatever. And how many people that they killed that they <laughs> didn't talk about. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, it, but it is a very fun movie. Yeah, but I, S- I, Scott Kraus, I understand your opinion, how you could react that way where it's like you're a terrible person for watching that movie. Because obviously... <laughs> There. That being said, though, you know, I, I do have to say I, I see I think that for a lot of movies and then I understand what Joey's saying, because then you sometimes when I do see him, I'm like, you know what? That was that was actually pretty good. You know? But I hate myself it's, for admitting it. And it takes me like weeks to admit I actually kind of liked it. Yeah, <laughs> it's just it's a movie made like for the worst people starring the worst people <laughs> doing the worst things ever, but incredibly entertaining. Well put. That should be the tagline. That should be on the yeah. poster. I, now, see, now you just sold me on that. You should open. There it. we go. Yeah. <laughs> right. Cut everything else out. Yeah. No problem. No problem. Um. Well, thank you for that your recommendations. I, those are great recommendations. Uh, Scott Arnold, what do you got for us? I have a book. Okay. The title of the book is called Skunk Works: A Personal Memoir of My Years at Lockheed, Volume One. <laughs> that sounds very heady. It's awesome. It's a book about a engineer at Lockheed Martin developing, um, like, spy planes mostly and big weapons and, yeah. Well, that's basically what Lockheed does. Yeah, you know, stuff we're not supposed to know about. Right. But it, but there's really cool stuff like about Cold War and patriotism and like trying to be creative within that infrastructure and check it out interesting well just just because you're a really big fan of uh making money off of uh, multinational conglomerates no comment okay cool well thank you scott that sounds like a uh a very randomly interesting book titillating uh, read <laughs> very very <laughs> true uh scott Krause, i would love to hear your uh random and random recommendation for this episode well, this is going to be, you know, uh, you know, not as a very big surprise, I guess. But uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna prop a vegan product that I just kind of came across. It's uh, this stuff called Amande, and it's uh, almond milk yogurt. Ooh, I whew, yeah, love it's, it. It's delicious, and it, uh, I, I like it, you know, because it's kind of jumping on the whole like soy-free thing that's kind of going around, which is nice, you know, as a vegan for twenty plus years, you don't want to eat you know tons of soy because probably for the first 15 that's all you ever ate so <laughs> right it's nice now that there's new products coming out but it's called yeah amande it's spelled uh i don't know how you pronounce it but it's a-m-a-n-d-e and it's really good and i just came across it kind of uh yesterday actually so okay where do you uh do you just get it like whole foods or something yeah, like yeah, that yeah interesting i did make i did recently make the switch about a year and a half ago to almond milk uh-huh. and, I, and i don't regret it for one moment yeah, I like almond milk better too. Oh, it's so good. Yeah, it's kind of like it too. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of like when I, I just have it in my cereal, and it's kind of like it's just much thicker. It's like, kind of like a milkshake. <laughs> it is, yes, that's true. And the the new um, the new silk almond milk, like the dark chocolate, it's really good. Oh, all right. Well, those are that's. Are there as many calories? Well, let me tell you. I can actually look in the, in the fridge here. I know for the straight, I just get like the Trader Joe's almond milk, and I know it's a little less than the soy milk. 
Okay. This um, this yogurt has 160 calories, so I don't know if that's a lot or not. No. No, that no? sounds sounds reasonable. All right. Cool. What flavor is that? Um, cherry. Oh, you're talking my language. <laughs> yeah, it's really good. Cool. Well, thank you for the uh, recommendation. And on the the vegan tip, I'm going to give uh, two. I'm going to give one recommendation off that, and both the recommendations I'm giving. Sorry, I'm copying Joey by giving two quick hits, but uh, <laughs> they are uh, in the Las Vegas region because I was there uh, over the past weekend, and one of them is most most vegan travelers know about this place, but uh, Ronald's Donuts. Have you ever? Have yes. you ever I, I know Joey has. Scott, have, yes. either, have both of you had this? They're they're amazing. Okay, yes. Scott, I have not. Okay, you'll you'll have to go there when you go there in a few weeks. Um, and for those of you that have never heard of it before, basically it's uh, you know one of the few vegan donut places um, that I've ever been to, with the exception of like you know Voodoo Donuts up in Portland and um, you know a few other various places. But uh, it just looks like an unassuming donut shop, like any old random one you would go into. But they've you just go in there and be like, hey, where's your vegan donuts? And they say, these entire two shelves. And it's like, holy shit, these look incredible. Yeah. And they go, it, it's, it's, it is. It's just like a, you know, a corner donut shop. It, it doesn't advertise vegan. It's not health food in any way, shape, or form. It's just – uh, they happen to be vegan, so yeah. And every time I've ever like asked them that, and there's other people present, they look like they look at me like, "Wait, what is he ordering off a secret menu? Like, what's happening?" <laughs> yeah. From what I understand, um, the way that it all came about, and I, m- I might have the story wrong, but somebody went in and just ha- and asked one time, "Hey, do you have any uh, vegan donuts? Do you have anything that doesn't have like dairy or eggs in it?" And the guy, I don't think they did, but the guy was like, "Well." I could make these vegan, and it just kind of spawned from there. And, wow. and um, so now, you know, the you know, like the vast majority of them are vegan. There's only like one shelf usually that has like non-vegan donuts on it. So yeah. So anybody that's in Vegas that is interested in having some uh, some cruelty-free donuts, as it were, <laughs> check mm-hmm. that check that out. And then um, there's a great record store. There's not very many record stores to begin with. But there's a uh, it's a small chain. It's called Zia Records. Um, they have some in Arizona, um, and I th- I don't think there's anywhere else. Do you know Joey? I think it's just Arizona, and I didn't even oh no, and Vegas. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. might be it. Yeah, so I know I know there's like five or six in Arizona, but uh, yeah, there's one in Vegas, and it's got a great vinyl selection. Um, it reminds me of like walking into like a warehouse. If any of those our listeners remember warehouse, it's just anyone is thirty years old. <laughs> Very true. Um, so yeah, they just have a great selection, and no matter what, every time I go in there, um, I always find some really cool stuff, and they have it at reasonable prices, and that's exactly what a record store should be. That will wrap up our quick hit section, and uh, we'll just go ahead and dive right into the uh, the music review section, and we will do it in alphabetical order as usual. And we're going to go ahead and talk about the uh, fucked up record, uh, David Comes to Life. Wait, time out, time out. Yes, you would you would put fucked up before the Antlers, counting the as a uh... the honestly for the common listener, I am. Because most people don't understand the way us nerd record store clerics work. <laughs> well, that's not our problem. That's their problem. It's true. If Joey, if you want to go ahead, we can talk about the Antlers record first. Well, it, 
the way Ray, if you were going to get the antlers record, where would you would you you would put it with A? Of you course, know, right? I, I so let's start. We'll we'll start there. <laughs> All right. I'm sorry, Joey. I did not mean to offend you. Come on, Ray. <laughs> All right. Well, rewinding that a little bit, we're going to go ahead and talk about the antlers record called "Burst Apart." Let's uh, let's check out a little bit of it right now. This is, uh, I know nothing about this band, so all this research is pulled from the, uh, the beautiful Wikipedia. So uh, it's their fourth full length, their second on French Kiss Records. Uh, it originally started off as like a solo project um, from a dude who, Scott Arnold, do you know the guy's name, the main songwriter? I, I don't know anything about this. Oh, really? You just picked this record out of the blue? Yeah. Oh, okay. So we're all completely walking to this blind. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I mean... Actually- Go ahead, Joey. No, never mind. Never mind. Go. Joey, this is Joey's favorite band of all time, he just said. All time. No. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Scott, can you tell that guy in the background to be quiet? <laughs> be quiet. <laughs> Done. Um, so, yeah, knowing nothing about this record, um, Joey, what do you think? What's up? Uh, I actually randomly stumbled upon the last record sometime last year. And enjoyed it. So when Scott presented this one, I was kind of excited. And I don't know how I feel about it. <laughs> um, I, feel, I feel like there's some songs that are great. Um, let me actually get it real quick. Particularly uh, the very first song, I Don't Want Love, I think is incredible. Okay. I think it's hands down the best song on the record. And then there's just this real hit or miss where either a song will be great and then it moves into not great. Um, but it's kind of, to me, reminds me of like the XX and cause it's just real, like minimal and just quiet. So, you know, and maybe a little bit of like a stripped down version of the national even, I don't know it, but I enjoy it to a point, I think. But I, it's good background music. Kind of it, my... it just sounds so definitive. Like that's basically you should write like marketing text for Fast Five and the Antlers. Like it's just so definitive. It's awesome. It's not awesome. <laughs> one song, one song is bad. Well, I'm really I don't know what I think of this record. Okay. I, I, the more I listen to it, the more I like it, and then I'll listen to it again, and the more I don't like it. So Got. in the end, I don't think I'm gonna like it. All that much. Okay. Keeps you guessing. <laughs> yes, exactly. You never know what you're going to get. That's true. That's true. Um, Scott Kraus, I don't know your own personal taste when it comes to indie type stuff. Do, are you like, you know, do you find yourself listening to anything of this variety at all? Um, no, not really. Uh, it's, I mean, I kind of, I listen to all sorts of stuff. I mean, you know, anything across the board pretty much, but this um, I know what Joey's saying about it. Like, you know, I gave it two or three listens and 
um, it wasn't. It, it's hard to have an opinion of. I think it because it's not anything that you can have strong feelings about either way. I don't think it's just. It's kind of like mellow background music. I felt it, mm-hmm. it was. It's it's cool when it's on. Nothing really perks your ear. I think it could just be there, and it's not offending you. But it's also not um, grabbing your attention. I don't think. Um, it was just kind of. I kind of zoned out on it. I, sure. I put it on, and I I didn't want to turn it off, but I didn't actually really want to pay attention to it either. You know. Right. Um, it, it was just. Like it. <laughs> it was just there, and it's and it was fine where it was, but it was just. I don't know. I mean, you know. Granted, I didn't. I didn't listen to it. Um, you know, three times all the way through, but right. was, I put it on a couple times and it just, it, it didn't grab me, but it didn't, it didn't, I didn't go, Oh, this is awful or anything either. It just was, I think it's tough for me anyway. It was really tough to have a strong opinion on either way. Sure. And that, and, and that's, that's totally fair. Yeah. Well, and that, and that's kind of why I compared it to the XX because there's nothing offensive about it. There's nothing necessarily bad about it, but it's just, it's so quiet that it's just like, it's, it just exists. Yeah, like I, it's kind of it's kind of like one gear the entire way through, and it, and it's a very mellow gear, you know. It's like they're in first, yeah. just kind of cruising along, and never really take it up a notch, or never really take it down a notch. It just it just kind of coasts. Sure, exactly. Uh, Scott Arnold, would you uh, would you think of the record? Um, I kind of agree that the tempo was kind of one note, and that sort of led the record to bleed together kind of and there was no way to you know discern different parts from the other but i do think that there was some subtle complexity in the in some of the songs kind of like radiohead where first listen it's cool but you can keep going back and finding more and more Mm -hmm. um so that's what i found appealing to it um but unless you were listening to that it's kind of easy to pass over it and forget about it yeah Yeah, i could i could imagine there's some there's some layers in there that once you kind of delve into are pretty cool yeah. Um, so I was kind of able to do that, but I wasn't blown away. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> you took the words right out of my mouth, Joey, as far as like the comparison to the XX. Um, I also heard bits and pieces of like, they're like Jeff Buckley instrumentation um, and also like early PJ Harvey stuff. Um, both of those I'm like big fans of. And so hearing that in this band, like I was honestly expecting to just like not like this record at all the first time i listened to it was just like dude this is dog shit like i just didn't i didn't get it at all and then the second and third listens i started to get it a little more and um i I don't say that i would be like strongly opinionated towards it being like a great record but i enjoyed it um i i'm hard pressed to say that it's going to find a permanent place in my collection but um it's i think i liked it maybe the best out of everybody but um, not, you know, it's not going to be like, oh, God, I need to see the antlers when they come through or, you know, I need to buy all the records on vinyl or anything like that. So I, I can't imagine their live show is very engaging. <laughs> <laughs> That's where you're wrong. Did you see the Hellfest DVD when they're on it? <laughs> very, very good point. A lot, of, a lot of stage dives, a lot of finger points. Were they the band that threw the uh, severed pig head into the crowd? Yes, sir. <laughs> I think they were trying to do that to get a reaction from Earth Crisis. Did you? Did you, yeah. you guys? You guys don't remember that? Well, I mean, isn't everybody doing something to get? A reaction? <laughs> I mean, in reality, okay. trying to be one uppers. We're. I mean, we're always at the forefront of everybody's mind. I think when they're on stage, like, oh, we got to get a rise on Earth Crisis right now. 
that's that's very true. I think that's why the black metal scene exists, basically, to just kind of ruin Earth Crisis a day. I, I think so. Yeah, yeah, we've thought that for a while. I'm glad you said that. <laughs> that's good. Yeah, I'm glad you. I'm glad you didn't have to say that because that would just make you sound egotistical. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to come off egotistical. I mean, people already say that about me enough. So. <laughs> <laughs> spectacular um scott kraus we do a rating system on uh, a best out of five so um scott arnold what do, what would you give the record uh, star wise um a light four star Ooh, light four wow jo- i know that's it's pretty strong um joey what about you a, a solid three okay uh mr mr kraus would you have an opinion on that yeah i, I could give i think a solid three yeah, I'll I'll say even though I think I liked the record more than Scott and he gave it a four, I would give it a three and a half. Um, so yeah, that's sounds like you don't like the record more than me. I, I know you beat me, Scott. <laughs> um, all right, cool. Well, that was the uh, discovery record where no one had any fucking clue what this band was before. So there you go. We got exposed to a little um, vanilla music. Yeah. Um, Next record we're going to talk about, uh, we'll probably have some more visceral reactions, uh, especially from the band's name where a lot of people uh, feel uncomfortable saying it. Not us, obviously. I can't uh, say it here. Please say it. I can't. You really people, can't? I can say it. Okay. Scott, what's, Should, this re- what's this record name and the band name? The record is called, or the record is by a band called Fucked Up. I think that's the first time Scott might have ever sworn on the podcast. Well, I think he's worried about the Starbucks clientele that may be like... Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yes, this band is called... And it's called Go ahead. David Comes to Life. Perfect. Let's check out a little bit of it. This is uh, the band's second full length. They, third. I don't even. Is it the third? Yeah. Oh, Same Chemistry yeah. of Common Life. The one before Chemistry of Common Life. The Hidden Hidden World was on. Uh, sorry. History. Yes, sorry. I ha- I didn't finish my sentence. It's second. Oh, from, got it. Okay. My bad. No worries. No worries. It's the second. The band's second full length for Matador. Third overall, as Joey pointed out, and. They have 110,000 releases on various record labels over the past. They've existed for like 10 or so years. Um, so the demo came out in 2002. Yeah. Also, it'll be 10 years next year. Um, but I, And actually, it won't even matter because this world won't exist after Saturday when we're all raptured. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> um so yeah, this band is, uh, I mean, they've done a lot in a very short period of time. Um, they are indie rock darlings, even though they play aggressive-ish punk music um, that has been influenced by a lot of, you know, late 70s, early 80s, like punk and hardcore bands. But uh, for whatever reason, they've been adopted by the uh, the indie rock world, and they've been allowed to uh, 
enter that world and be liked by the Coachella Pitchfork crowd, which, you know, I, I still don't understand why certain bands can cross over to that and others can't. Can you guys? No. <laughs> no. Especially aggressive bands, I don't get it whatsoever. I don't know why Fucked Up and Trash Talk are like the bands that were successful in that. Yeah, I don't. I mean, well, how like how come Earth Crisis has never bridged that gap? I, I think Snapcase was trying to bridge that gap, but I don't who had know they, how successful they were. Who said true. they haven't? Yeah, I, mean, <laughs> I definitely think they were trying for a while. I mean, they. I don't know. I'm not sure if they were successful. That I kind of lost touch with with following what they were doing. But I know, you know, a lot of times the bands I, I saw them going out with near the end, and, and a lot of the shows they were doing seemed to be kind of in that world. They always seemed like the odd man out on a lot of the bills. Yeah. But I don't know if it worked for them or not. I don't think, I don't know. I kind of don't think it did, but. Yeah. I mean, it's just tough because it's like any bands that have a history of like playing to a hardcore scene, like, you know, like a specific scene, just have such a tough time where it's like people judge them, you know, uh, based off the fact that, oh, whatever, they were playing to, you know, kids that have X's on their hands or wear baggy pants or whatever the case may be. So I I don't get it. Whatever. That's a whole hour long podcast in and of itself. But, um, so yeah, fucked up record. Highly, hotly anticipated, um, and uh, I'd love to hear all of your opinions on it. Scott Arnold, start things off. What do you think of the record? I really enjoyed the record. Um, I didn't. Obviously, I knew of the band a lot just because of the hype and the obsessive record collectors I I hang out with. Uh, <laughs> such such nerds. Who you wouldn't be talking about us by any chance, would you? No. Okay. Good. Anyway, it's a band I never really listened to except for a few times, and I was kind of put off for whatever reason. But it's been years, and I really like this record. Um, I was really surprised. I thought it was a lot more aggressive than they were. Um, and when I heard the first song, it was sort of that long build-up intro. It really it got me in the mood. Did it get you pumped? got me pumped. I was excited. Wow. And I, and I could understand the appeal of sort of a more... It's almost more of a mainstream audience. Well, th- yeah, this record is definitely distinctly different. Like, v- I mean, very different they- than the last one. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. well, that's that's cool that you like the record, Scott, because uh, Mr. Kraus, Scott Arnold, is infamous for basically hating ninety percent of what we review on the show. <laughs> I'm two if, for if two today. Aggr- <laughs> if it's aggressive, Scott hates it. <laughs> <laughs> um. Well, cool. Well, I'm glad you like the record. Uh, I'll go ahead and go because just just to mix things up, I um, <clears throat> I really like the record as well. Um, it for me, it's way too long. I mean, 18 songs is fucking gigantic. I don't care who you are, um, and so it's like I remember like when I listened to it at first, it's like first like six or seven songs. I was like, yes, and then as it kept going, like I don't think it was the song quality diminished, but just like, you know, I'm my attention span just started to dwindle and it was like, okay, well, like that was cool. Like I got everything I needed to by the first 10 songs rather than the next eight songs that were coming. Um, and I mean, and I don't think it's like obviously their fault and they should have never, you know, released this as a, such a gigantic full length, because um, that was their whole thing. Like, they wanted to make this, like, rock opera slash opus, and that's why they have all the ridiculous instrumentation on it and stuff like that. So um, I, the one band, like, the common theme that I sort of got from the record was uh, it sounds a lot like The Replacements. Uh, there are certain parts it reminds me a lot of The Replacements. And so, um, yeah, but overall, I, I really enjoyed it. And 
it it could potentially find a uh, a top ten, maybe top fifteen spot in my uh, records of the year. So we'll see. Spoiler. I know. Teaser. Spoiler alert. Um, Scott Krause, what did you uh, what did you think of the record? And do you have any previous history with this band, as far as knowledge and everything is concerned? Not at all. I I heard the band. I've heard of them, but I've never actually heard them. And um, you know, right away it. it it definitely had an appeal to me. Like I, I listened to it, you know, the, like right when I put it on and I think I listened to this one was the last one I listened to. And it immediately, I was like, all right, yeah, I could kind of, you know, I, I kind of get into it. And mm-hmm. I definitely, you know, I, I didn't get through all 18 songs because like you said, it's just ridiculous. I think <laughs> <laughs> you, you can't dedicate like almost two hours to listening to a record, whatever. Yeah, I mean, I don't, and I don't know who, who wants to, yeah. You know, I, I just, I don't under, ever understand that. You know, I, I, I don't know. It's a whole thing with me. I don't understand, like, you know, labels always want nowadays, too. It's all about, like, content, you know, being on the artist side of things. They want 16 songs, and it's like nobody wants to hear 16 Earth Crisis songs, you know? It's like <laughs> we only have, like, five ideas, you know? It's like, <laughs> you know, we don't need to revisit them 16 times on uh, on an album, you know? And I, I kind of feel... It was a similar similar thing with these guys. I, I really liked it at first, and then somewhere around track like five or six, like you said, I, I started being like, "All right, you know, um, you know, the vocals got a, a bit monotonous to me, and the ideas tended to be kind of the same over and over." Which, which it's not really much fault to them. It, it, you know, most bands have that effect on me. I think it, it's I, you know, I just don't feel like. like uh, you know, records need to be an hour long. I think I think most bands only have so many tricks up their sleeve, you know? Yeah. And it tends to get monotonous. But but overall, I, I thought it was really cool. I mean, especially going into, you know, a, a band that I had heard of. And, you know, like like you were saying, they're, they're kind of um, categorized in this certain genre that I wouldn't really ever venture into. And so right off the bat, though, I was like, yeah, I could definitely get into this. I mean, it, it, it had like a... I don't know. I mean, it reminded me a little bit of, I guess, hot water music, even in some some fashion. Sure, sure. Which I thought was pretty cool. Um, but yeah, I liked it overall. I liked I liked what I heard. Cool, cool. Um, Joey, what do you think of the record? You're a gigantic fucked up fan. Yes, I have. I've been a fan since the first seven inch. I, mean, I just bought it because it was on Deranged, and the band was called Fucked Up. Um, <laughs> So and I but you know I really liked it and then from there have my I've grown to to love them. Um, the full length I think however have always been their weakest part. I thought they were always just better as like a seven inch band. Like um, Hidden World I didn't really get into that much, uh, but Chemistry of Common Life I I liked but didn't love. But this is I think by far my favorite LP of theirs. Um, it's just the most interesting to listen to. Uh, I think they started doing stuff like a little more different. Um, it's not as like, I don't know. There's just, they try more things. And there's, I mean, it's not there's so, yeah, there's so much shit they've going been, on. And they've kind of been going this way for a while. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I, I really like it. I agree. It's, it's long. I'm excited for when I get the vinyl to listen to the first record and then take a break. And then I'll listen to the second record. Um, and, by, and by break, you mean like maybe wait a few days? Yeah. Like <laughs> I, I never see myself sitting down and listening to all 18 songs. But I do see myself doing that and listening to sides A and B, taking a break, coming back, and going to C and D. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. 
I mean, I, the, I highly recommend this. Yeah, and, I, I, I and think I, whole, I think we all agree on that. And the whole, I don't people don't know like their whole the buy now get early like the pre order thing is insane. With you get it, you know, the LP and then four seven inches and just more like five, what five additional songs and yeah, I mean, like Matt Matt. To, to give a little background to those people who aren't record nerds like Joey and I, but are interested in the, the sort of marketing musical component of it, they, they're doing this program for, uh, or Matador has actually done this for a few releases, but what they do is they basically say, hey, if you pre-order the record now, um, you know, whatever, two months out of the street date, um, we'll give you, for, specifically speaking for this fucked up record, um, if you pre-ordered it, you get, uh, like Joey said, four additional seven inches that get shipped to you. You get uh, bonus songs along the way. Like you log into a special website and they give you a free download of these songs that um, you know are just like various like B-sides and that type of stuff and additional tracks. And it's, it's just... Uh, it's a really cool way to get people to actually purchase physical music because they're actually doing these pre-orders not only online, but they do it at actual physical record stores as well. well so I think for the most part, most of them are at physical record stores. Uh-huh, yeah. Like, I think that whole point is, I mean, granted, I did mine online, but I think a lot, you know, you can only do it at specific places, and I think it's just to entice people to go to the record store. Yeah. So... It was definitely a very com- comprehensive thing, and I was just, it just takes a lot of effort to uh, coordinate that and pull it off. So, Matador Records is, uh, is definitely on top of it. They, they've been around for a while. They know yeah, they do know what they're doing. They, they've done some things. Yeah. Um, Star wise, Scott Arnold, what would you give the record? Uh, three and a half. Okay. Mr. Uh, Mr. Krauss, what about you? I'd give it a three. Um... Not gonna. I'd give it a four, but I got to knock a point off because there's 18 songs on it. <laughs> they need to be penalized somehow. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> um, Joey, what about you? I'm currently give, gonna give it a four, but I see it trending to a four and a half. Okay, I would give it. That uh, is bold. But I'd. Uh, I would. I would agree with you, Joey. I'd give it a four, but I don't know. I, I think it's a solid four. I don't think it's going really anywhere for me. But it's it's a great record. Cool. Well, that was. I think that's one of the first times that all like every single one of us has agreed on it. That's pretty good. Congratulations, everyone, fucked up. Everyone agreed. Everyone agreed on the antlers as well. Everyone's kind of in the same place. This that's team true. Like. We just we just like each other. This is a good chemistry we got going on here. I think we have some controversy coming up. I can guarantee I, that. I. I, <laughs> I yes. <laughs> all right. We'll just dive right into the uh, the most controversial record uh, that we that we're talking about this evening. The uh, Manchester Orchestra record called Simple Math. Let's uh, check out a little bit of it.
All right. It's the band's third full length, right, Joey? Uh, they have an unreleased first record. So right. Te- so technically, you're a nerd. Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, and this is the uh, the record label is Favorite Gentleman, which is basically just a small indie label, but it's distroed through Sony Music. So essentially, they have you know they're on a major label. Um, and this record is a concept record. And uh, that's about all I know out of that. The band's from Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, they've existed for a while um, within the sort of indie, verging on some sort of, uh, I don't. I dare say pop punk, because that's not who they tour with, but bands like with Brand New and Thrice and that type of stuff that you know might be considered more aggressive at one point in their career. So that's the background of Manchester Orchestra. And... Um, Considering the fact that I know that Joey is a, like, would you dare say that you're a super fan? I would say I'm a, I'm a super fan. If I wasn't before, I am now. Oh, there's a preview. All right, Joey, go take it away. Uh, I would dare say that this is a perfect record. <laughs> uh, the the bar has been set. This is currently, I don't see a record beating this, and this will probably be my number one record of the year. Whew. This record, from start to finish, is perfect. The gauntlet it's, has been thrown. That's all I need to say. If you don't like this record, I apologize to you, because you're missing out on so much good stuff. <laughs> wow, that's that's bold. I, I had a feeling that you were going to throw a very definitive statement out there, and you did not disappoint, Joey. Thank you. Hey, no problem. That's what I do. That's what I do. <laughs> um, not, not really, though. <laughs> Uh, Mr. Mr. Arnold, I I would love to hear your uh, potentially uh, disagreeing, maybe dissenting opinion to a perfect record. It is far from a perfect record. <laughs> um, unlike Joey, I know nothing about these fine gentlemen. On first listen, I was completely overwhelmed. It sounded like a poor attempt at a really epic record. And I never really got past that upon listening further. I, I imagine if I was a super fan like Joey, I could get into all the little parts of it and try to. I'm sure there's some crazy story or comic book related to it, but. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that. That was such a disarming comment. Yeah, yeah. there's probably, probably some little fucking thing to go along with it. <laughs> yeah. Maybe like a pending movie, like a four hour movie. <laughs> they're not angels. They're not angels in airwaves. <laughs> Regardless, they just, they just put out solid records. <laughs> it, it's not for me. Got it, got it. Um, I'll go ahead and throw my opinion because uh, Joey is always – he hasn't gotten mad at me, but he's always been like, Ray, I really don't understand how you haven't got into Manchester Orchestra because essentially Joey and I have like a very, very, very similar music taste. You know, only varying where, you know, I may be into more weird heavy stuff and Joey's into more, you know, poppy punk stuff or whatever. So, I, I would just like, like I told you, we, if we were a Zen diagram, we would be heavily overlapped. We would. We would be almost on top of each other. And I'll let anybody interpret that however they may see fit. <laughs> um, so, with that being said, I've just, I've never liked this band. I've always tried to because people who I respect musical, like musically, uh, as far as their taste is concerned, um, have always been like, this band's great. Love them. Seen them many times. Um, they've toured with a bunch of friends of mine. And. Uh, this record does does doesn't doesn't do anything for me either, and I just uh, I, I will I will focus on the positive initially, 
the last three songs in the record, I those are the ones I got into the most. They were like the more slowed, slow down, subdued songs. Because I like Scott. It it was just like holy fuck. Like there's so much shit going on. Like and not in a way that I could really like wrap my head around it. Um, I uh, I just I was reminded of. I mean, they get a lot of comparisons to Brand New, and I, I, I you know that's a very obvious comparison. Yeah. That's because Brand New ripped them off and then took them on tour. Right. Just, no, really. They, yeah. Brand New pretty much ripped off their first record. And then as a, as a favor, I think, because they realized what they did, took them on tour a bunch. Well, that's, that's good. They've, they've developed a friendship. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, mean, I, think I don't they... know if Brand New would admit to that, but that's definitely what I believe because Manchester Orchestra was doing, doing this sound before Brand New really jumped on in. Right. Well, because I think I, I I know that uh, Mr. Krause probably has the same feeling where uh, chokehold exists because of Earth Crisis, right? Um, you know, don't, I don't even want to get into that. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm totally kidding. <laughs> that was just that was chokehold, that was too easy. So I I bite my tongue a lot when it comes to the band chokehold, and yes. I'm going to continue to do so this evening. <laughs> <laughs> and that's completely. I, the reason I threw that in there is because I knew it could be inflammatory. So <laughs> I just, you know, I I don't know. We get we get a lot of comparisons. A lot of times, it seems like it seems like a, somebody will mention us and then mention chokehold, or if a kid likes us, he likes chokehold, and I I, I just find it insulting. <laughs> <laughs> it's I I I I can understand. I mean, there 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 are certain. The two, you guys' two bands have been, uh, you know, intertwined ever since you both started. So it's just, I just had to say that. So, Any, anyways. Yeah, okay, go on. We'll, yeah, go back to this subject. <laughs> I, I will. We can bring it up in the interview portion. Yeah, we'll bring it up later. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, you know, I feel, I feel like I need to apologize for not liking this record because I just, yeah, I just, just didn't do anything for me. And I, I mean, I'm still going to give it an effort. Like as far as listening Ray. to it a few more times, I what Joey? <laughs> what what I what I want you to do? <laughs> yes. Is the the next time they are in town, we're gonna go see them. Okay. And, and I think your opinion will change because they are one of the best live bands I've seen in a very long time. Okay, and I'm I'm willing I mean, to I'm willing to do that. This um, this band is three for three on amazing records, and it's a amazing progression from record to record. So. Hey, yeah, I, and I feel I feel your passion, and that's what that's what pulls me towards really trying to like this record. So, um, and so yeah, be, go ahead. Before we move on to Scott Krause, yes, let me just say also the the singer has a solo project called Right Away Great Captain that I also highly recommend. Okay, moving on. Okay, that is all. <laughs> uh, Mr. Mr. Krause, what did uh, did you have a, a, a strong opinion on the record? Uh, um, no, I I mean not as not as extreme as either one of you guys actually. Um, <laughs> Okay. I uh I, I only got through about the first five songs of it. Um the first song I I, I I'm kinda with um Scott Arnold and Ray. I, I didn't I was like, I don't think I'm gonna get into this. But the second song, I it totally changed my opinion. I was like, This this record is gonna be awesome. Like I thought the second song was really cool. Okay. Um yeah. I, I I just thought it was awesome. Like I, I really liked the the, you know the orchestra stuff that they were doing and everything I thought that was really cool um, and then I kind of lost me again and it, I kind of went up and down like every other song on it so I, I'd, I'd kind of like to listen to it a bit more and see if 
if I find other, you know, interesting things. But that second song kind of jumped out at me a lot. And then the other ones fell flat for me. But the second song I thought was really good. And I kind of like to sit with it a little bit more. And I, I could, I could see myself getting into it. Got it. Got it. Well, that's, uh, that's good. We have a very wide swath of opinions on that one. (laughs) Um, Joey, obviously this is a five out of five for you. Yes. Five stars. Maybe God. maybe even six out of five. <laughs> <laughs> You're breaking the grading mold, um, Miss, Mr. Arnold. What uh, what about you? Uh, two. Okay. I well two and a half on that one. Uh, what about you, Mr. Kraus? I, I hate to be lame and give everything threes, but I gotta say three. But it does have potential, I think, to to hit a four for me, maybe. Okay. Okay. That you're not you're not lame for doing threes. It's fine. All right. Let's well, just you know, just being average. Like I don't want to be offensive, but I don't want to you know, kiss anyone's ass either. So. Right. Well, I I know that Manchester Orchestra and Earth Crisis would probably go out on tour together. Right. So. I don't want to offend them if we happen to like if they happen to open for us. You know. Right. <laughs> totally <laughs> makes perfect sense. Don't want to yeah. burn it. Don't want to burn any of those bridges. Yeah. Like if we're playing Chain Reaction and they open or something, like I don't. Know. <laughs> yeah, I I completely understand. <laughs> um, update. I'd just like to inform everyone that Riley, former guest Riley from episode one or two or three. Yep. He has, and I quote on his blog, this is unreal, mind, period, blown, period. And this is in reference to Hashuka. Oh, yes, I know. I I noticed that. Okay. Yeah, good update, Scott. Well, clearly he is uh, an idiot just like you, Scott. (laughs) (laughs) All right, now we are to the uh, ever-engaging interview portion of the podcast where we, uh, you know, just hash out all the issues and, uh, you know, talk about not boring stuff with uh, with our special guest. And, uh, again, Scott Krause, we really appreciate you uh, taking the time out to hang out with us. Oh, no problem, man. So the most important question I will ask of this evening is, uh, and I know it's probably one that you've answered before, but I've never heard your personal opinion of it. Um, okay. The Earth Crisis face tattoo guy. <laughs> yeah. For 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 one, do you know him? And two, is that the most flattering thing that will ever happen to you? Um, no, we do not know him. As as far as I know, I, I don't know if the guy. I mean, he probably has seen the band. I'm assuming, but he's definitely never. He's never seen Earth Crisis before. He's like, you know what? I'm gonna get face tattoo of a band well, I've never seen. I mean, we were in Europe. Like twice um, in the last like two years, and he hasn't come out. And I believe he's from Denmark, from what I heard. But I mean, okay. he goes to terror shows all the time. I don't. Know. <laughs> That's amazing. He's yeah. He, obviously, he's got over you guys. I think he's over us. Yeah, I kind of think he's over us. But I don't know. Yeah. It. I mean, it is. It is. Yeah. Of course, it's flattering. Um. I. I mean, I. I've said it before, but I. I do feel like I should apologize to his mother. it's i mean it's easily one of the most like i mean uh, i'll be the first to say that 
Earth Crisis is such a, a very, without kissing your ass, Scott, because, you know, that's not what I do. Uh, Earth Crisis is a very monumental band for me getting into not only hardcore, but, you know, philosophically. But there's no goddamn way I'd ever tattoo my face with Earth Crisis. <laughs> Come on, Ray. So where's your support, Ray? No, I mean, it's, it's you know, of course it's extreme, you know. Um, I, the first time I saw it, I couldn't believe it. I thought it was fake. Yeah. I really did. I was just like, there's no way. I mean, do do Metallica fans have Metallica tattooed on their face? I mean, like, I mean, we're not, you know, we're not that popular of a band where I think we should have a face tattoo guy out there. Right. But, hey, I mean, yeah, it's it's definitely flattering. I would really like to meet the guy. I mean, we've we've posted things before saying like, hey, if anybody knows him, tell him like we'd like you know like to have him come out. We got to meet him. Right. And, uh, nothing. Nothing. Nobody. He's like a mystery. I, I don't know his real name. The, the closest I have is um, Doug Weber, who used to be in Terror, has a, got a photo with him and texted it to me. Wow. And, <laughs> and I was like, so he comes in and sees Terry. He's like, yeah, this guy's been out to see us like three times. But he won't – he doesn't come see us. So uh, he might be he's like – the scary thing is he might be over like, it, you know? He might be wow. over the man. <laughs> what, what were what you if, saying, what Joey? If just, what if he's just like shy or even like – think i don't know maybe yeah he's just yeah scared to come talk to you guys yeah feels kind of embarrassed in a way maybe i don't know yeah 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 well, i mean if, i just if he's listening then uh earth crosses face tattoo you, go, you go introduce you, yourself yeah. yeah come say hi at least come on and and actually <laughs> that leads perfectly into another question i was going to ask because um I distinctly remember um, Joey and myself. We had purchased the Earth Crisis uh, DVD, the you know the the sort of retrospective slash documentary. Um, and this is before that I knew you personally, and um, you know Joey knew you or anything like that. And so we just enjoyed you as a band. Um, the best thing about the DVD was the fact that it showed you guys having a sense of humor, uh, yeah. beca- because everybody looks at Earth Crisis and is like. Oh, those guys are just the most serious dudes ever. They're boners. Like, there's no way that they're fun. Yeah. Uh, so that was is the that... point. Yeah, that was oh. the that was like a big point of the DVD. We, you know, we. I think early on we definitely wanted to have a like a mystique about the band and didn't want to portray ourselves like our too much of our personalities in interviews and stuff. But um, I and then we got to a point where we we're like, I, I kind of think that's hurting us in a way now. You know, I think at first it was interesting. Because people, you know, there were so many rumors that we weren't um, dispelling, you know. We were just like, yeah, cool, we uh, you know, we did that maybe, you know. <laughs> None of them were true, but we just kind of like, yeah, whatever, we'll let, we'll let those fly. We'll let those rumors roll. So and the then, DVD was kind of a PR job? Yeah, exactly, yeah. It was like, <laughs> no, we're actually nice guys. Look, we throw shit out windows and stuff, you know. <laughs> it's like, I, I, I think my favorite was seeing Carl direct traffic. In Japan. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, and I got to give credit to to our friend Doug who did the video. I mean, he he um, you know, he had been on tour with us like for years and and knew what kind of people we were. And he we we always tended to get very serious in front of the camera, very serious in interviews, you know. But as soon as everything shut off, that's who we really were. Were those people? And he did a really good job of of egging us on to do stupid shit. And so you know. So he could capture the real band on on film, and so I mean a lot of it, a lot of the credit does have to go to him. Yeah, and I I, I definitely I get what you're saying in regards to 
the fact that, you know, when at the height of Earth Crisis, like, I mean, I don't even know, just as far as like all the media attention you guys were receiving and like, you know, the whatever from like, you know, 96 to about like 99, where it was just like, you know, you're on mainstream news programs and stuff like that. Uh, people might have taken you a little less seriously if you guys are, you know, dicking around and throwing pillows at each other and stuff yeah, like that. that. That's what, it, yeah, that's really what it was. We didn't, uh, you know, we were, we were really young when we started the band and we obviously had a, you know, a very serious agenda to the band and we didn't want people to just immediately dispel us as like kids. Oh, these are just kids. You know, it's like when you, when you drive by an animal rights protest and there's, uh, you know, 15 year olds with green mohawks, it's like, that's fine if there's a couple older guys in suits, you know, right. we, we didn't, we didn't want to be the, we didn't want to be like the the little kids that everybody just brushed off and were like, we wanted people to take us seriously. Um, that, so that's maybe that's it went a little too, you know, and I, but then I think uh, over the years, I think the rumors kind of piled up to the point of like, all right, we need to kind of chill it out here. I mean, people have really wild ideas of who we are and what, what we're out. You know, people always lumped us in with hardline and we didn't have like a manifest that we put out saying we wanted to like take over the world or anything, you know? Right. You just wanted to destroy every machine on the planet, which is understandable. Yes. yes. We wanted Gamora to end and destroy all the machines. <laughs> um, what, how weird was it? Just because you guys were, like you said, so young and you were at the forefront of all of this, I imagine it must have been at times like pretty overwhelming for you guys to have all of this attention. And you know, most people weren't even really concentrating on the music; they were just con concentrating on the fact that you guys had this, you know, "quote unquote" radical agenda. Like, how how weird was that feeling where you're like, "Hey, it's cool we're getting this attention, but we're also like, we, we play pretty cool music too." Yeah, it's, and I, I have a, I have I a follow up too. Okay. okay. <laughs> I yeah, I still feel that way a lot of times because it's you know, I mean, you know, Ray. I mean, we kind of dealt with it a little bit when you were working with us at Century Media. It's like. Um, there's a, you know, there's a certain stigma about the hardcore scene, I think too. And like certain record labels that you're on where you can't, you know, for example, we'll just put it out. There's something that you and I talked about. It was an actual example. When we were working at Century, we talked about going out with Arch Enemy mm -hmm. and it was like Arch Enemy, you know, their management and stuff was like, well, you know, they're, they're a hardcore band. And it's like, we probably fit in sound wise with arch enemy more than we do with any hardcore band, <laughs> you yeah. know? And, but it's like, we had, there's a stigma and, and I also with the politics, it's like politically we have more hardcore politics. So yeah, it, it seems to be like the, the politics kind of take a forefront and the music is a, it takes a backseat. Every, every record review you'll ever read of an earth, you know, earth crisis in like a metal mag always ends with, now I'm going to go have a burger. Or, right. <laughs> or I I listened to this record while I was drinking whiskey, you know, and it's like, all right, man, you know, get get past it and review the music, you know. Yeah, I mean, how how weird is it for you guys to be like that young and have that much? Like, was there? Did you guys feel a lot of like the internal pressure? Like, did you guys kind of have that like you know sort of that internal strife where it was just like this was kind of too much that you guys were handling, or did you guys were you able to kind of navigate it all during that time? Um, you know, honestly, we were, we were just, we were like on a mission. I mean, really, I mean, uh -huh. not, not to make it sound like super dramatic, but it, I think it kind of was pretty dramatic for us. Like we, we really were like very focused on, on the, and determined on this mission to, to, um, you know, get the ideas out there, get straight edge out there, get veganism out there. And we really, we were on a mission. I mean, to the point where 
every every obstacle that we came in was like fuel for us to go even harder you know when when we'd go somewhere and kids would throw shit or protest or whatever it was like all right cool looks like we're doing another tour and we're gonna play that city again you know <laughs> it was just like we were just really really driven and looking back on it now i, I don't i don't think i have that same kind of drive like I, i'm pretty sure now like i would just not i would just not go to that town again <laughs> whatever you know right back then it was like we're gonna go through here every every single tour and make a point to play this this and we did that you know with the whole middle sex thing when kids, you know, through yogurt and there was that whole drama, it's like, you know, we were back there like three weeks later playing that same city again, uh-huh. um, you know, and we ran into a problem again. And then eventually the problem just goes away, you know? Yeah. yeah kid, kids always find a new, an, yeah, a new banner to wave and, yeah, you know, like, a new enemy, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So Scott, when you guys were, I, I wasn't around, I was a little kid back then, um, but when you guys were going through all this media stuff, were you guys able to capitalize financially? Or no, no, it was no all um, no, it was all like, well, I mean, I, I don't know, in a roundabout way, maybe uh, because I mean, it definitely got got us greater exposure, and you know, I think there was a a more mainstream element coming out to some of our shows because of it. Like the one the one show that we did, Network Earth, um, that was like in cable in the classroom, so that was being shown to like. Um, like seventh and eighth graders, I believe, um, you know, every year. And it was for like, like three or four years that program was shown on cable in the classroom. So, um, you know, we would get this young, this young kind of mainstream crowd that would come out. So, I mean, I guess in, in a roundabout way, yeah, but not, not directly. Like we weren't paid by CNN or, or any of those, uh, things that we did. MTV never flew you down to Cancun for spring break. No, no, unfortunately not. <laughs> that that would be so amazing if it's like you know fucking Dan Cortez VJ being like, hey, we got Earth like, Crisis hanging out with us. We got we got Lou Bega and then Earth Crisis. Yeah, like we're playing on the beach, you know, with the ocean in the background and all that. Yeah, that would have been great. We would have done it. <laughs> yeah, that that would have been incredible. Um, and kind of focusing in on that moment as well where, um, you know, what was the most, I guess, like surreal moment during that time where you guys like, you know, you personally kind of step back and were just like, holy fucking shit. Like, I can't believe this is all happening, whether it's like, you know, whether it was a show you played or whether it was like, you know, you guys doing an interview or you guys are being exposed in this, you know, fashion. Like if there's a specific moment that was just like overwhelming for you. Um, there was two, actually. There, there's two there's two standout moments that I think where I, where I realized, you know, the first moment where I realized that, that the band was, you know, going to do something was, uh, the more the music festival in Dayton, which I believe was like the first big, like hardcore fest ever. And, um, and it was pretty much every band in the world that just couldn't stand us. And then earth crisis played <laughs> and, and we, uh, we drove down there and it was like, it was like maybe like our third out of town show. And, um, I had, I just thought we were going to get just killed, you know, I mean, not like physically, but just, I thought the kids were just going to hate the band. And, um, you know, it was like a lot of the New Jersey bands at the time just really weren't into us. They were all straight edge, but you know, they, they lumped us in with hardline and they thought we took ourselves too seriously and whatnot. So, um, I just was like, you know, when we play, these guys are going to be clowns and then the crowd's going to hate us. But, um, it was like from the first note, it was like obvious that, we just were going to destroy that show. And it was like, that was like, I, I realized like, all right, there, there is like a, 
there's an audience for what we're what we're talking about, you know, mm-hmm. and and it was it was a nice moment because I mean, you know, all those bands were on the side of the stage and they thought they thought the same thing that we thought, you know, like oh we're gonna get up there and we're gonna get clowned and it was like the entire place like 800 people just went nuts and this is a band that put out a a seven inch you know out of their friend's you know basement and he had released like two other records, you know. Right. So, you know, it, it was, that was a really good moment. It was like, I realized like, wow, like, you know, we, we are going to, you know, we could do something here. Like, you know, there's a movement, there's a movement brewing, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, I, I think the second thing was when, uh, Sharon Osborne actually called, um, I lived upstairs at my grandmother's house <laughs> and I came home one day and on my answering machine, there was a, a voicemail from Sharon Osborne. This was like pre, you know, Osborne's TV show, so I didn't even know really who Sharon Osborne was, uh-huh. but she had left a message that oh, you know, you know, she's Ozzy's wife, and they're putting together a record label, and they really want Earth Crisis to be you know one of the first releases on the label, and I was just like blown away that like did Ozzy's wife just call my dad, <laughs> leave a message, you know? It, it just that was like really surreal. It's like as a kid growing up listening to Ozzy, like his wife to call me and. Ozzy wants me on his record label. And it was just like, it was, it was pretty intense. Yeah, no, that's insane. I had no idea that wasn't that like, was it like destiny recordings or what was it called? Uh, you know, they never did it. it. It was, it was supposed to be called. I don't remember what it was supposed to be called. They, they actually did put out a record. It was the, the first Ozfest uh, CD and we were on. Oh, yeah. And that... Yeah. And I can't remember what the label was called. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's but, I, um, I, I definitely remember watching that DVD and being like, "Wow, Earth Crisis, that's so weird." Yeah, the fir- the first 3 bands on the label were supposed to be Earth Crisis, Neurosis, and Queens of the Stone Age. Whoa. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, and and none of the uh none of them, you know, none of it happened because the label <laughs> fell through. It didn't they didn't end up doing it, but How how amazing of a tour would that have been? That would have been great. Yeah. <laughs> um and then one one last question, sort of about the uh, the, the past, as it were. Um, the um, what what do you or, or if you have something in your own mind that was sort of, you know, I retrospectively being like that was a real big misstep for us. Like you know, we didn't whether this decision and like you know, I'm not trying to incite or have you talk shit where it's like, dude, when we signed a Century Media Ray, that was the fucking worst decision we've ever made. Um, <laughs> Because otherwise, I, my, you, you'd break my heart if you said that. Um, <laughs> but you know, just sort of like whether it was like you know a tour you guys did, or whether it was like something that was like you know we just retrospectively, I you know I wish we hadn't have have done this or whatever the case may be. If there is anything in your mind that was like yeah, stuck there's, out, there's a lot of things. I mean, you know, I think any band that has been around for you know as long as we are is going to have a lot of missteps, you know. Um, but it's like this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> This would be the top of it now. <laughs> no, honestly, though, I, I think the biggest um, mistake that we made was actually signing with Roadrunner. Um, that was that. That was just like a really, a really bad, a bad time. It seemed like everything was, and, I, and it's hard to say if it was the label's fault or if it was just you know time for the band to kind of steady out and and decline a little bit. You know, it was just the natural progression of the band. You know, but it was, um, it was just like things were riding so high up until that point. And then we we signed with Roadrunner, and um, we was we really didn't you know not a lot of bands at that at that point from our genre ever made that leap you know and so we didn't want to be that first band that made that leap and then completely um, you know 
change our style. And um, what we were doing, what we did on the following record on Slither was actually stuff that we kind of wanted to do then, but we purposely didn't because we didn't want it. We didn't want to, you know, to look that way. Oh, cool! They jumped to the uh, pseudo major label, and and all of a sudden go mainstream, you know? Right. Um, and I think the label was expecting a record like Slither, and we delivered a record that was not like Slither at all, <laughs> and it was very much like a you know a, a metalcore, you know, straightforward kind of destroy the machines era album. Yeah. And, uh, dare, dare say, my, my favorite Earth Crisis record. By the way, yeah, yeah, I mean it's definitely one of mine too, and and, and they just weren't having it. Like they didn't, they didn't like. I, I mean, I knew from the get go that they would, they weren't into it. Like um, Mike Gitter, who ended up, you know, being our A and R guy again for a brief moment <laughs> at Century Media, but he was our A and R guy at, at Roadrunner, and he, um, you know, it was just like there was just, it was like all of a sudden things became like a, like a rock and roll story you know it's like we're in the studio and the a and r guy is coming and he wants to hear the vocals cleaned up because they're too undecipherable indecipherable and so we ended up kind of locking him out of the studio and it was just like it became a vh1 behind the music yeah it did it totally did and 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 i think that they kind of they kind of shelved the record i think before it even came out because they knew that they were going to drop us you know they, yeah. It was just like before the record even came out. So the, the record came out, did what they kind of expected it to do. And, you know, we were kind of bummed because we thought, oh, cool, we're going to be on tour, you know, with Machine Head and Sepultura and all the big bands that were on Roadrunner at the time. And we got like Sepultura after Max quit the band. And we got, we got this like C grade shit, you know? <laughs> so it was just kind of a bum out of a time. And then, you know, so we kind of went back to victory just because it was comfortable. Yeah, I, I I think that's I think it's really interesting. You hit on a point that I never thought about in regards to if you guys released a record like Slither at the time that you were on Roadrunner, like it, you know, what could have potentially been different? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and the, and the you know a little more behind the scenes trivia is that when we were when we were doing Slither, um, Mike Gitter was interested in the record again, so we almost you know almost kind of went back to Roadrunner. <laughs> Even during that, because they were like, this was the record that we wanted. And then there was like talk back and forth of, hey, maybe we could work something out. And we just decided, no, we, we already went down that road. And plus, I, I think they decided, well, they're already with Victory and, you know, whatever. But there was talk even then, like, well, maybe you could come back and put this record out with us. Hmm. Um, but I mean, some of the things that we wanted to do, you know, that we ended up doing on Slither, we, we were kind of gearing up to do on Breed the Killers. But, um, we just didn't we were like no nah, that that'll we should hold off on that stuff i mean cuz we were kind of burnt out a little bit with with the music that we had been playing and we wanted to kind of venture into some new territory just musically um just to kind of challenge ourselves um but it was but, like, but but why would you want to do that you can just play firestorm for the 157 yeah, million time exactly <laughs> <laughs> exactly now transitioning into uh, what the band kind of has going on now and what the band's been up to, um, you know, ever since you guys, you guys played your reunion show in uh, like the one in Baltimore and then the one in California. Was that 2008? Seven. Seven. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then um, it, when, when you guys were broken up that meantime, like, you know, did it take a lot of conversations for you guys to get to the point of wanting to kind of, you know, dust, dust everything off and, and do it again? Yeah. Yeah. Um... Yeah, it was kind of tough. I mean, we had actually been talking about it, you know, I'd say 
two to three years before we actually even did it. I mean, we were all we all stayed pretty close um, throughout the years. I mean, that's one of the cool things about about the band. It's not it's not just a bunch of guys that you know you get together and play music with. Like we're you know we all grew up together and and are still really good friends and involved. Even if we did, if the band broke up again right now, we would all still stay close and you know stay involved with each other's lives and and we did over the over the you know the little hiatus breakup there that we had um and we had brought it up a couple times like you know we should do a record you know we should we should come back and do a record and it took about 3 years to actually make it happen so yeah um and now we're actually uh we'll do a little uh a little world debut as it were uh you guys were so kind enough to uh you know premiere about a uh, it's like a minute minute and a half maybe clip of uh a song called total war that uh comes off of their uh their record straight edge superiority i mean <laughs> i mean no in all actuality it's called neutralize the threat and it uh comes out uh, july 12th so um we'll listen to a little bit of that and then we'll uh we'll come back and talk about that and uh you know sort of put a cherry on top of it as it were So yeah, that song was called uh, Total War, and uh, again, I feel like a radio DJ when I do this. That song is called Total War off Neutralize <laughs> the Threat out on July 12th on Century Media Records. There you um, go. Yeah, that was, that was a perfect radio that DJ That was voice. really good. You're going to get a job. I hope so, one of these days. <laughs> um. So yeah, now that you guys, uh, now that you guys are, you know, uh, uh, back, because a lot of people, like uh, you know, on the record that uh, both you and I worked on, uh, to the death, you know, a lot of people were still like not convinced. They were like, "Oh, cool, Earth Crisis is trying to make some more money off of us." Yeah. Um, like, you know, are, are they actually going to end up doing more than just this record, or is this the, you know, just a one and done type thing? Um, you know, did you? Did you guys approach this record from a different mindset where it's just like, all right, now now people will have to take us seriously because we're putting out a rec- another record that people might not have been expecting? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, um, I think it was a little bit of a, a climb back because, it's, you know, we kind of came we kind of came back when there was a lot of this reunion stuff going on. And that was that was kind of one of the um, the stipulations of doing the band again that, that a few of us had was. You know, if, if we do Earth Crisis again, if we dig this up and we do this, it's not going to be a, you know, a Gorilla Biscuits type thing where it's like we go out and do a tour, but we're not really a band. You know, mm-hmm. we're going to put records out. We're going to play for 50 people in uh, Oklahoma and we're going to play, um, you know, just, you know, we're going to be a band again. And, and we're not going to go out and we're 30, you know, six, some of us are 40 years old at this point. So it's like we're not going to go out on tour for three months straight, but. You know, we're going to support records and, and we're going to continue to put out new music and not just go out on these like 
um, smash and grab type tours where it's like, all right, let's get some money and then retire for a year. And Hey, we need some more money, you know? Yeah. Like, like a lot of the bands are doing, <laughs> I, you know, it's just like, I didn't, I didn't want it to look, look that way. Cause I, I think that looks pretty weak. You know, it's like, yeah. it, it's like, you know, I don't know the guys in grill biscuits or, you know, these other bands personally, but you know, it's like, I don't know. It just seems like okay, cool. We're gonna go out and play play a bunch of shows and make a bunch of money, and we'll do it whenever we uh, feel like we got to get some cash. And that might not be the case, but that's what it looks like. And yeah. so that's that's what I didn't. That's what a lot of us in the band didn't want Earth Crisis to look like, you know. So that's that's part of it. And 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 I think for us too, a lot of the band has always been about recording music. I mean, that's um, me like me personally I, I prefer writing and recording over over playing live i mean i like playing live but writing and recording is kind of my thing sure so if we're going to do a band again it, it's kind of that that comes with the, the territory but sure it, sure it was definitely a climb a climb back because i think a lot of people did assume oh cool they're they're doing a they're doing a smash and grab type thing they're going to come out and you know forty dollar tickets and you know take as much <laughs> money from us as they can and, <laughs> and then, totally and then go away. But it's like, well, you know, after that though, then we came back and played $10 tickets for 50 people and, and had a great time doing it. So. Right. Exactly. Yeah. You've, you, you've had to prove your, prove to, uh, you know, the general audience that you guys are actually indeed, you know, going to take this seriously and not just, you know, take, take all the reputation that you've built up and, you know, just kind of toss it to the wind. Yeah. Um, at what point in your guys's lineage, did you kind of, you know, did you figure that you could make uh, some, you know, because at one point you guys were obviously like just touring and you were making a living off of the band. Um, what, yeah, at what point? Living. Yeah. <laughs> I, you were able to pay a, uh, you know, rent for a few months when you, or you didn't need, need to get jobs between tours. Um, yeah. At what point did you guys feel like you could make a, make a run at it? Like, you know, was it, uh, was it after Gamora season or was it, you know, just at a, at a certain random point when you guys started to make some, you know, okay guarantees at shows and stuff like that? Um, well, I mean, I think, see, that's the thing. I, I think there's a misconception sometimes about, it's true that we did technically live off the band for a lot of years, but I mean, it, it's all kind of relative to what you consider living off the band, you know, it's right. like, like I, like I, like I already mentioned, like for the, for the entire time that I did the band, like I never lived on my own. Like I lived in a pseudo apartment upstairs at my grandmother's house. I, ne I never owned a car. You know, I kept all my, I kept all my like daily expenses and just my, my life expenses to a minimum because I knew like, you know, I might come home with, uh, you know, $300 for being gone for a month, you know? Sure. Um, and the other guys did the same things like, like Dennis, Eric and Ian, they would all, they would all work jobs when we would go home. Like they'd go work at temp agencies um, okay. and Carl always had stuff too. So it was like, you know, we, we were kind of living off the band, but it's not like, you know, nobody was like really paying too much of their bills. I mean, there was a few years there where we did okay. Right. You know, and we could, we could kind of sit back when we came home and take a month off or something, but sure. um, it was never like, I, I think a lot of people were assuming at the time, definitely, a lot of people were assuming we were living in better conditions than we really were. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If you did a Earth Crisis Cribs, then you'd be like, yo, say hi to my grandma. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, it's like my, my wife and I, we lived upstairs at my grandma's place. I mean, that's, that's where we lived, you know? And yeah. that was why I was able to do the band because I didn't have really any overhead. I did 
I could go home. You know, I had like a phone bill and like cable, you know? Sure. You, like, made, like, you made concessions in order to make the reality. Yeah. yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. you lived I mean, a different, you, you know, I, I lived a minimalist lifestyle in order to be able to do what I wanted to do. Sure. Um, and sort of to uh, wrap things up, kind of, you know, present tense, obviously, of the band and everything like that. Um, you know, for I mean, first of all, congratulations, because uh, you recently had a child. Yes, I did. Yeah. And congratulations to you as well. Yes, that's and it's funny. We actually, I know Joey is probably going to bring this up at any given moment. We've uh, the past two episodes, we've done a raise regrets section, and they asked me, <laughs> they asked me if I regret having a child. <laughs> yeah, I thought you were going to you regret you regret not wearing a condom. <laughs> no, well, so Ray, episode or uh, third episode in of Raise Regrets thoughts go. Yeah. <laughs> and and I'm and I'm supposed to keep this concise, uh, Scott. So that's just to, just to let you know. Um, right. He he's sleeping a lot. He's awesome, and I really uh, I'm. There's no regrets whatsoever. I, I I just can't I can't wait for him to start interacting with me because that'll be I, exciting. I see Ray's regrets quickly coming to an end. It, yeah, there's. <laughs> The the first week was the toughest. That's when that's when you hit me at the the weakest of uh, I don't know this this kid thing maybe not working out. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, it gets better. It, it, yes. I mean, my 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 kid's only you know I don't know maybe a month older than uh-huh. yours, but um, yeah, there's there's a whole like right now it's this whole like uh, you know starting to realize his surroundings and stuff, and that's it's really cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So. The, with that being said, the fact that you guys don't have to grind it out 300 days out of the year, um, that I'm sure that's a huge weight off your guys' shoulders where you don't have to sit there and really worry that much about touring anymore. Yeah, definitely. And that was part of the, you know, that was part of the reason we stopped doing it in 2001 because, um, you know, it gets to a point where, when you've been doing it for like 10 years that and you know when you do a band i mean you you've been in bands and stuff obviously and it's like bands um they have to be priority number 1 for them to really work and they have to be priority number 1 for all five members or four members or whoever's in the band you know um it can't be it it kind of it's unfortunate but it, it when you're first starting out and laying your groundwork it, it has to come before family and it has to become before any other career goals and stuff that you have or sure. or it really isn't just going it just isn't going to work and um and that's what we basically lived like that for 10 years. And, you know, it got to a point where people were like, you know, I think I want to have kids someday. And I want to, I want to kind of have like my own life that doesn't involve you four. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, yeah, you know, me too. And, and we all had, we all had that. So that was, that was part of it in 2001. We were just like, yeah, I think it's, I think it's time to maybe, uh, we didn't understand that we could have um, had our cake and eat it too. At that point, mm. we we thought, okay, you have to be 150 percent banned. We didn't. We at that point, we could have done exactly what we're doing now, but we just didn't understand it because we didn't. We had never thought that way. It was like, no, 150 percent banned. I don't care what if your wife's crying. Too bad, you know. <laughs> that's so amazing. <laughs> I don't give a shit what's happening at home. Fucking yeah. go on the road, dude. <laughs> that's not my problem. Tune your guitar. Let's go. You know. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, that, that that makes total sense. I mean, that, it, it's funny that, like, now a lot of bands realize this, where it's like, you know, in the early 2000s, like, they, that it just didn't seem like an option, you know? Like, scaling back wasn't just, that wasn't reasonable. No, it, it, it just, it really didn't seem like, because, and also, I mean, 
you know, your, your head's filled with a lot of kind of propaganda from the people that make money off your band too. You know, it's like you got your record label telling you, well, you can't take a break. If you take a break, you become irrelevant, you know? And, mm-hmm. and your, your booking agent's telling you the same thing. Well, you, if you guys take a break, like, and you don't tour as much, you know, you're, you're going to just dwindle away. And it's like, you know, and we bought it. We were like, you're right. So I guess we just have to break up. And th- what's the logic there? Either scale it back or break up. Like, of course, scale it back would have been the, the smart decision, you know? Yeah, you're like, there's, there, how come there's no middle ground here? There's no middle ground. Yeah, it's like, no, either, either it's 365 days or nothing. <laughs> that's, that's so funny. And I, I mean, I hope it's like, I hope that more bands are able to realize that it's like, you know, you can't, there is a balance that you can strike. It's like, obviously, you know, there are so many bands that still get caught up in the, in the machine and the experience of touring. But then when it, when you get to that 17th or 18th U S tour that you can realize like, okay, like maybe, and like, you know, maybe the popularity has plateaued that you can just like take like, you know, a little step back and kind of reevaluate. Right. And, st- and, and also ju- I think just become comfortable with, um, the success that you've had and stop striving to go farther. You know, that, that was our, that was our big downfall. It was like constantly taking that next to that next level. And it's like, you know, it, that'll kill your band. I think, you know, instead of just sit back and, and enjoy like what you've created, like, Hey, we can go out and, and bring 300 people in a night around the country. That's, that's pretty cool. Not a lot of people can do that. You know, yeah. But instead it's like, you're, you're shooting for stadiums and it's like, you're, you're shooting for these unrealistic goals. That it's like, you know, we can't pack 10,000 people. Like what, what were we thinking? But that was like our goal. You know, we wanted to do that. And sure. Was, and, and people were feeding us with that. You can is all you have to do is this and you just have to tour more. And, you know, and that's a quick way to end your band, I think. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, in, in conclusion, the, uh, the one thing I've always found interesting, especially about earth crisis, um, is the fact that, you know, not, not many bands can, um, you know, spearhead a movement, you know, it's like, I'm, you know, you look at Ian McKay or Ian McKay, however, you know, you people want, people want to say that because people jumped up my throat anytime I say it one way or the other. Um, I wonder which it is as well. Cause I have no so, idea, but I, I always thought it was McKay. Yeah. We'll, we'll go with that for this one. Um, <laughs> So, you know, the, the idea of like, you know, how it can look, uh, from inside when, um, you know, when something just kind of spirals, you know, f- way far out of like what you originally anticipated it to be. Cause I mean, clearly, you know, when straight edge started like to versus where it is now, it's like, there's no way that there's any connection to what, you know, Ian was writing about back then. And clearly since you guys, you know, I honestly, in my opinion, and I think Joey would agree with me is the fact that you guys definitely put it into, uh, you know, a more mainstream context where, you know, once parents started to understand the idea, and even if parents were understanding it as an idea of straight edge being a gang, <laughs> yeah, um, you know, they still at least understood the idea and, uh, you know, at least were familiar with the word, um, you know, like kind of retrospectively looking back on it, how, um, you know, and especially with you, you know, raising a child, like how, how weird is that going to be for you being like, you know, Hey, this is like, you know, this is how I live my life. And, you know, cause clearly, our kids are going to rebel against us. Like, yeah. <laughs> and, and so like, it, it, does that, is that a weird feeling being like, you know, this was something that was, you know, we were definitely responsible in some way, shape or form. And then now it's kind of doing full circle on you and being like, wow, what is my kid going to do? That's totally going to be against everything that I stand for. Yeah. I, I think about, I, I've thought about that. And I think, 
I mean, you know, the only thing that, that you can do is just, uh, you know, not try to push too hard in any direction, just kind of let, you know, it, it, because that, you know, if you push, obviously, like you said, you're going to get that rebellion. So it's kind of just like, hey, just putting it out there. This is kind of what I do. But hey, do what you do. Make up your own mind, you know, and just kind of leave it like that. And I'm sure there's going to be the experimental phases, at least, where I'm going to be pretty, pretty upset, pretty disappointed at times. <laughs> but I'm just hoping through, through that, you know, you can get through that on the other end as is a, a good guy, you know. But yeah, yeah, no, I because I think I think everybody like as. Because essentially, you know, this is kind of the first generation of people that have grown older. Like, because, I mean, you know, both Joey and I are 30. um, And, you know, we've grown up for, you know, 15 plus years within hardcore. And then now we're having to face these real world situations of like, you know, we're still into the same shit we were into since we were 15 years old. But now we're transitioning into, quote unquote, adulthood, whatever that means, you know. Yeah. And like. You're you're the awkward guy at the party that won't drink for whatever reason. You have to explain yourself. (laughs) And people look at you like you're 10. <laughs> right. Or, or you're a recovering alcoholic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, totally. No, it gets super awkward. And I, and I think, honestly, I think that awkwardness, and I, and I said this somewhere in an interview before, but I, I think that awkwardness is what, um, you know, pushes a lot of people to kind of, you know, stop being straight edge and stuff or, or even stop being like vegetarian and vegan later on in life because it's it's just that social peer pressure kind of thing. And, and you still deal with it when you're, 30 40 years old you know because you're going out you know every what do people do for fun you know they go out for drinks and you're the weird guy that's not drinking and you make everyone else feel uncomfortable and um i mean i know a bunch of friends that that that's that's what happened they they were the odd man out and they couldn't really handle that awkwardness yeah uh, it's it, it's yeah it's it's the pressures of real life that you don't think of when you're obviously 14 and 15 so yeah well especially when you and when you live in a place like Syracuse where Ninety percent of the people that you were around were straight edge and vegan, so it was like, and and now it's like five percent, you know. So then, <laughs> so you go out into the you go out into the real world and you're like, you're eating dinner with people and you're looking like, and, and you do you kind of not because I was really even offended, but I was just kind of blown away. Like, is that guy eating like chicken? You know, it was just kind of like because I I hadn't eaten a dinner with people that ate meat in I don't know years really. Yeah, I didn't really have yeah. family dinners. It was just friends. And we were always all vegan. So then you go somewhere else and it's like, whoa, I guess everyone here is not vegan. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. So it's 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 definitely an interesting juxtaposition, but you know, one I just wanted to get your take on. So Yeah. I I do have one real quick question. Okay. Do it. Uh what is your opinion? Are you familiar with CM Punk? Yeah, yeah. 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 What is your opinion of uh of him? Um I think he's cool. I mean, I've I've talked to him a few times, um, has, just by by email. Has he um, ever has he ever quoted Earth Crisis in his like in his speeches he gives? Because I know he's quoted like Project X and H two O. I don't think he has. I, I think somebody. I think I saw on Twitter somebody mentioned to him that he should. But um, I believe Carl met him. Like Carl went out and gave him some merch or something at a wrestling. That's event. awesome. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I don't know. Him, I don't know him personally. Um, I was, you know, I, I, I kind of just, nobody had ever told me about him and I was flipping through channels and I saw this dude X'd up and on a wrestling show and I was just like, what is this, <laughs> <laughs> is this, did this really happen? You know? And yeah, it's, it's pretty interesting. Um, I don't know. I, I, I don't, I, I think if you were to ask 
the 20-year-old Scott, what he thought about straight edge becoming mainstream, he'd have a different opinion as the 36-year-old. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which is a totally understandable. Yeah, yeah. I don't necessarily – I don't know. I think at this point I'm not – I don't know. I, I don't think I, I really think straight edge should be a, like kind of a mainstream thing anymore. I think I thought it. I think when I was younger, I thought it should be. I mean, I, I'm all for drug free, but I, I kind of feel like I don't know. I feel like straight edge is something special that you kind of have to find. It shouldn't find you. You know, I think I think certain people are drawn to it, and and you find it, and it's kind of like this special thing that you stumble upon and fits in your life instead of you kind of being bombarded with it with media, and then being like, yeah, that fits my life. You know. I think it's something that the individual has to find, not that straight edge finds you, you know, I don't know, but I mean, sure. whatever, it's not doing any harm. It's just my personal opinion. Yeah. No, it's, I mean, obviously CM Punk will never tour with earth crisis. Sorry, dude. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, cool. Well, that's uh that is, those are all the questions that we had. So uh, again, thank you, Scott, for taking the time. And we, we, we appreciate you uh, hanging out with us and debuting a new track off the record. Cause uh, oh, everyone, no Everyone should go uh, go pick it up because you know people still buy records as odd as that sounds. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, new, and here's my DJ voice again. Neutralize the threat comes out July 12th on Century Media Records. Awesome, so, it was, it was and, good hanging out with you guys. Likewise. <laughs>